as hell and I wanna get ill So I go to a place where my homeboys chill Fellas out there trying to make that dollar I pulled up in the 6-4 Alright everyone, well welcome back to a new episode of the Bored as Hell podcast I'm Adam McDonald with Big Shiny Robot Hey, and I'm Andy Wilson, also with Big Shiny Robot What was that big ding? I like that sound Oh, it's my roommate harassing me yeah <laughs> uh, well i can see why he's harassing you adam <laughs> uh, um <laughs> it is uh it is june so it is lgbt pride month uh and those of us up here in utah just got back from spending the whole weekend at pride downtown so to kick things off with us we kind of wanted to go and you know obviously lgbt people like musicals uh talk about some movies uh and you buried the lead. Last night was the Tonys. The Tony Tonys. Uh, yeah, there were a bunch of great stuff for that. Um, Alison Bechtel, who many people are aware, um, invented the Bechtel test to see about you know women in movies. She actually, her uh, memoirs, uh, Fun House, Fun Home, excuse me, pretty much won everything. So we'll, we'll get into that a little bit too. But uh, musicals, uh, Pitch Perfect 2. Now, I haven't had a chance to see this. Well, that's okay, Adam. I think... Pitch Perfect 2 is pretty easily summed up. Did did you see Pitch Perfect? Yes. Did you like Pitch Perfect? Yes. Great. Did you see The Mighty Ducks 2? Oh, who hasn't? Okay. Well, then you've seen Pitch Perfect 2. <laughs> so basically, it, it follows a pretty discernible pattern, you're saying. Yeah. This, I mean, our our wonderful Barden Bellas are, are back. Uh, after winning three straight national championships, they go and perform at the Kennedy Center for Barack and Michelle Obama for the president's birthday. And after a very unfortunate wardrobe malfunction uh, happening to Fat Amy, Rebel Wilson, uh, they are they are going to be disbanded uh, as an acapella group unless unless they win the international championships. Uh, we and, like three seasons. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, you know, it, it's a little bit predictable. And in order to do this, they have to take down the indomitable German international team, Das Sound Machine. Das Sound Machine. Oh, and they they provide some of the best parts of this. And of course, the Bellas and Das Sound Machine end up showing up in several different situations where they face off against one another, including an impromptu underground acapella league hosted by David Cross from Mr. Show and Arrested Development and and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, and Das Sound Machine is great. They're, they're very, very German. Uh, they're very overproduced. They're very overpowering. And some of the best comedy comes from uh, Anna Kendrick's character and her... Uh, <laughs> Her feelings of uh, I- interesting sexuality towards one of the female leads of Dust Sound Machine, oh. and uh, and uh, a newcomer uh, who most Americans will not be uh, familiar with, uh, a German comedian named Flula Borg, who is the male lead uh, from Dust Sound Machine, and they're great. Uh, added to the Barton Bellas is Haley Steinfeld from uh, True Grit. Mm-hmm. Uh, she oh, was just talking about her too. Yeah, we were, and uh, she is a legacy of the group, and her mother, uh, Katie Seagal, who we may remember from Futurama, uh, Married with Children, Sons of Anarchy, uh, was a Bella back in her day and is uh, 
telling her daughter how great it will be to be in an acapella group. It, there's really not much more to it than that. It, go in. If you like the first movie, you're going to love the second movie. There, There's just a lot more of it, and you'll enjoy yourself. I had a good time. Um, seven and a half out of ten. Seven and a half. So I guess the one question I have, because uh, I know that some people don't like uh, Rebel Wilson. They think that you know she's you know trying trying too hard to be funny and that she can be annoying. Uh, is this? I've heard that she's in this one a lot more than the first one. Is that true? Or was yeah. I just coming from someone who hates her and <laughs> was given points to leave in the movie? I don't know if she's in it a lot more. She gets her own subplot line where uh, she's going after. Adam Devine. So there's a whole storyline about the two of them hooking up. And if that seems annoying to you, then you will get annoyed by that storyline. Mm-hmm. I thought it was kind of funny. It was, you know, they're a mismatched couple. And I kind of like Rebel Wilson. I was one of those people who really liked Super Fun Night when it was on. And for like the six, eight episodes it was on. I like Rebel Wilson. I like her comedy. I think she's funny, but... Uh, so I was not annoyed, but people who might be annoyed by Rebel Wilson, I don't know why you'd be watching Pitch Perfect in the first place. <laughs> well, it's for Anna Kendrick, of course. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I understand that. And there's a lot more Anna Kendrick, and and she's great as always. Uh, and and all the rest of the Bellas are, are back as well. So, uh, I mean, everyone who was in the first movie is in, is in the second one. The one thing... That uh, that I actually really liked a lot more. Um, my, I, I kind of had a complaint about the first one. I loved Elizabeth Banks and John Michael Higgins uh, as they kind of bookended the movie at the beginning and the end of the first Pitch Perfect. Right. And I really wanted more of them. Now Elizabeth Banks directed this one, and there so there was a lot more of the two of them and their incredibly politically incorrect commentary about uh, the world of acapella. They, yeah, they heard pretty much every time they're on screen, they're stealing the show. I mean, they're, your eyes are on them. It's all about their humor. And, you know, I guess if you're the director, you can, yeah. you have the freedom to do that for your character. But they can get away with it because they're really funny. And, and I just love the two of them. And I, I wanted more of them from the first one. And I got more of them in this one. So, was was very happy with that. If it, it you have to kind of buy the premise, buy the bit, though. Mm-hmm. And if you don't buy that, they're going to inexplicably show up and steal the movie every twenty, thirty minutes. Then you're not going to buy that they're going to do that. But that, <laughs> I, I liked it. They're they're doing they're doing an acapella podcast, which was funny, and that's why they show up to cover all of these things. Cool. Well, I mean, I, it's one that I, like I said I wanted to see it, and I almost went and saw it today. Um, but instead, I actually went and saw Spy, which is the next movie we're going to talk about. Uh, so Spy is written and directed by <clears throat> Paul Feig. As you may know, he has done uh, Bridesmaids, The Heat, other stuff. Uh, he's in charge of the female Ghostbusters reboot, so obviously very funny man. Uh, worked a lot with Melissa McCarthy. So Spy takes place, Melissa McCarthy plays Susan Cooper, a uh, basically works for the CIA, works as kind of the the voice in the ear of the spies out on, in the field. She's doing all the intel, telling them where to go, turn left, turn right, duck here. 
and her uh, spy she's kind of running is played by Jude Law, and his name is Bradley Fine, and in the middle of the field one day, he gets killed. So she gets uh, a bug in her ear to pretty much go out there uh, and find his killer and solve this mystery about where this missing nuclear bomb is, and basically whackiness ensues. Uh, so uh, I didn't really know much about it going in. Uh, of course, I've seen the trailers. They do a great job with kind of ripping off the James Bond thing. In fact, the opening song uh, would be just at home in a James Bond movie with like the shadows and the, just the really cool choreography and action. Uh, but this thing is funny. Uh, I have not laughed at a movie this that hard in a long time. Everyone who's in it is great. Uh, Melissa McCarthy is wonderful because she's not just there as... They're not playing off her as like fat jokes. They're playing off her as a really great comedic actress who has got their running, jumping, flipping... Punching bad guys, uh, absolutely hilarious. What do you think about it? Uh, I loved it, and the the thing that I kept coming back to was if Mad Max Fury Road had a subtext about feminism, this is a copy of Ms. Magazine dedicated to the world of spy films. Mm-hmm. And this there's so much in here about uh, the sexism of uh, of Hollywood of uh how things work in in the cia because she's not uh because she's not sexy because she's not exactly who you would think she's working in the basement rather than out in the field and the only reason she gets to go up is through a series of misadventures and she's the only one who can who can accomplish this mission which makes a lot of sense and she's completely qualified and then they keep demeaning her with these terrible cover stories and she keeps (laughs) why why am i the mary Kay salesman (laughs) with 10 cats why am why can't i be the international businesswoman uh like fine was and that's the absolute truth and and so it, it's really great and this works not not as a spoof or send-up of spy movies like say Austin Powers was this is actually a spy movie that happens to have a lot of funny comedic elements mm-hmm. and the the best part of this are all of the supporting characters. Yes, it's absolutely Melissa McCarthy's movie, and she carries this front to back. But all of the supporting play, uh, players, Allison Janney as uh, the deputy director of the CIA, Jason Statham as a competing field agent. Oh, man, Jason Statham uh, tries to steal the movie every time he shows up. He's he's just great. Uh, Bobby Cannavale. Uh, is is one of the bad guys, and and Rose Byrne is an over the top bad guy uh, who they put some of the worst, most awful, politically incorrect things coming out of her mouth, and you will laugh and laugh and laugh. And there's this great riffing that goes on between her and Melissa McCarthy as they insult one another about their clothes and their hair and. They are just mean, and it, it's really funny uh, in in the way that Paul Feig really knows how to how to deliver in these types of comedies. Oh yeah, it's, it's um, yeah. Oh god, the parts where you know Melissa McCarthy finally I'm not, it's not too much a spoiler, kind of reveals part of herself or you know makes up a cover story to kind of get in with her her, um, her character uh, 
her, her uh, Rose Burns character's name is Lena in the movie. Um, when she's Melissa McCarthy opens up and just you know rapid fire, rapid fire. You know it's got to be a lot of it improv um, or something to work up on the set, but it's vicious and you will laugh your ass off. I, I like I said, I have not laughed that hard at a movie. In, oh gosh, since I can remember, it was it was a ton of fun. Uh, not don't want to forget about also kind of her co-worker at the CIA who was played by Miranda Hart. Uh, she kind of comes along for the ride and is she was also yeah, helping her out and she's hilarious. Uh, 50 Cent has a cameo and I'm not really a big 50 Cent fan but he's, he's, he's got some funny moments in this. He's Everyone is given something to do. There's no one, um, even if they're a small role, like Jude Law obviously is only really in it in the beginning. Uh, so, he, But even his parts are funny. They, when they go to dinner and he gives her this little necklace and she thinks, it's, oh, it's a diamond ring or something because she's in love with him and um, it's this horrible, nasty necklace. But even he's given funny moments. So uh, my only, yeah, only complaint I have is like typical Paul Feig movies is that it's a little bit too long for me. Um, you're definitely yeah. laughing the entire time and you're having a good time. But if it would have been about man, 20 minutes shorter, I think I would have been, you know, a little bit better, trim some stuff off, uh, like you said, Jason Statham's hilarious. Like the field agent trying to one up himself and talks about how he was drinking poison and he's, a little, he's immune to everything and blah blah blah. And a lot of those scenes could have been reduced, maybe from two or three minutes, maybe to a thirty-second or sixty-second kind of soundbite. Um, but I mean, aside from that, it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, definitely don't take the kids. It, it, it uses R rating. Uh, <laughs> there's a there's a joke about. So uh, most of the cars, he's neck getting wet, and that's all I'm going to say. Uh, but I would, I easily give it an eight, eight out of ten. Uh, if it was just a little bit shorter, maybe some tighter editing, uh, I think I'd probably go even higher. But that's, it's a fantastic movie. If you want something to laugh at, go check it out. You, you, uh, the joke about uh, Melissa McCarthy's neck made me almost forget how much I love. I, I almost forgot to mention Peter Serafinowicz in this. Oh, yes, yes. He's so great as this Italian secret agent who is helping her out. Uh, Serafinowicz, you you might not recognize him, but he was the guy in Guardians of the Galaxy who was one of the Nova Corps, and he's the one who says, oh, what a bunch of a-holes. <laughs> oh, it's right, yeah. I totally and, didn't realize that. And and he's uh, and he's in uh, the, the Look Around You series uh, that – was on the BBC with Nick Frost and Simon Pegg, and mm-hmm. and he was the voice of Darth Maul. Um, but you know, he, he he's one of those character actors that you'll see him and you'll be like, oh yeah, that guy. Uh, he oh, just every single little role in this movie they did they did so much with with so little, and it did end up overstuffed. But I I still loved it. Cool. So what are you giving it? Uh, I'm probably at an eight out of ten on this one. So we were pretty much, you know, one day we actually are going to have to find a movie we disagree on, so we can go at it. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely, definitely check it out. It's a lot of fun. So we, we uh, really do need to find a movie we're going to disagree on. I I hope we we find one soon. Yeah. Well, I mean, who knows? I mean, like I was saying, maybe one of us will absolutely hate Jurassic Park and or Jurassic World, and that person will be wrong. So. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, Andy, what else did you see? Because, again, I was just busy with work, and I was able to sneak Spy in. Um, could you give us a quick rundown just on some of the other ones that came out this week? I know Entourage was there. That That is about the quickest summary of Entourage that I could come up with. Um, 
I'm going to start with my rating. This is a 3 out of 10. If you really love this show, if you need to go see an Entourage movie, I guess you can. But there's just not enough TNA in the world to make this really that interesting to me. There's not enough celebrity cameos to make this interesting for me. Mm-hmm. And what kind of worked for a season or two on HBO back in the early 2000s really does not work 15 years later. Um, and I think they understand that. So it's, yeah, I, I don't know why you need to go see Entourage. The only, the best review I can think of with this is a line from Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt where Titus Andromedon proudly says to the other people in the bar, there is no Entourage 2. There is no Entourage 2. See, I, so. I, I watched, uh, I didn't watch the whole show. I, I didn't see the first couple seasons. Uh, and the first seasons, they were fun. I, you know, I, yeah. I, it was kind of this rising star. And then it just kind of turned into, I don't know, I just, I, I saw, I lost interest when he just, everyone got douchier and douchier. And it's kind of one of those things where, you know, do we need an Entourage movie? I, mean, I know that the series ended pretty, like, they kind of ended it, and hey, everything's done, but I don't think there was really a clamor for it. I mean, I know we definitely don't sell the, the box that it worked very often. The the only thing that I can't understand about this movie is that Adrian Grenier and Jeremy Piven and, um, and the, other, the other actors in this movie, they all have to have some sort of Faustian bargain. Because they all look better now than they did when the show first started. I I, I can't figure it out. Um, and, uh, isn't doesn't the movie take place something like four days after the, sh- the series ended or something? I have yeah I pfft, something like that. The guy the actor who plays Turtle and I can't remember his name. Um, he lost a lot of weight and they actually make they make mention of it in the, the trailers I've seen. And it's yeah. Like, supposed to take place really shortly after it is he's on some kind of crazy diet or something so no i think it's i think it's taken place longer than that because like turtle's got a side business where he's selling uh he's selling a craft tequila and uh he's actually making more money than than vince at this point and so i mean it but they've got the crew together to make this movie and yeah, I, I, this movie was short on plot and heavy on TNA and celebrity cameos, and that's really all that. Which is where the series went into, kind of got into that derailed, and that's yeah. So yeah, so Entourage three out of ten. Uh, if you love the show, I guess you'll have fun with it, but that's pretty much it. My my big recommendation for the week, though, and it's good that we're talking about musicals this week, um, is a movie called Love and Mercy. Uh, which is a song by Brian Wilson off of his 2004 album Smile, mm-hmm. uh, which won a bunch of Grammys and was Brian Wilson's return to music after uh, a, a an incredibly long hiatus. And this movie takes place in two different time periods in the life of Brian Wilson. Uh, in 1967, during the height of the Beach Boys' fame, uh, where if you know anything about about the Beach Boys and love the Beach Boys music, uh, this is largely to do with the recording of Pet Sounds. Pet Sounds, right, yeah. Um, which is just an amazing album and uh, changed music for good forever. 
And uh, without without Pet Sounds, there would have been no Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Land. Uh, there probably would have been... Uh, there, modern music would not have been what, what it would have been without this. Um, finding out that you know, change music forever, pretty much. Yeah. But we see uh, young Brian Wilson, played by Paul Dano in in this case, uh, dealing with a lot of mental health issues. Um, he's getting more and more depressed, and he's having auditory hallucinations. But these things that he's hearing in his head are driving his music, and that is what is taking him to these places and it's so it's a very interesting um journey as as that goes down parallel to this in the 1980s we see john cusack playing an older brian wilson uh where he is being uh dominated and over medicated by uh dr eugene landry uh who's played here by paul giamatti He's taking advantage of Wilson. He's living in his house. He's uh, taking all of his money. Um, it's a very abusive relationship, and this parallels well with the very abusive relationship that uh, Brian Wilson and the other Wilson brothers had with their own father mm-hmm. in the 60s. And uh, in, in comes Elizabeth Banks. Oh, I got a double dose of Elizabeth Banks this week. There you go. <laughs> um, who was a, a saleswoman at a Cadillac dealership. Uh, doesn't know who Brian Wilson is uh, when she first meets him. And uh, they kind of start a relationship. And throughout this, um, she gets drawn in to seeing how bad things are for him and is determined to try and help him get out. So uh, this is all this is all based on true events. Uh, from my reading of history and what I know of Brian Wilson, it seems very true to the source material Mm -hmm. and if you like musical biopics ray walk the line this is very much in that same thread but you have the element of these two interweaving storylines which makes it very interesting and rather than trying to tell the whole brian wilson story it's like they're trying to tell two um year-long chunks interwoven with one another and it makes for really interesting movie as someone who really loves pet sounds i really enjoyed this um dano and cusack are both very interesting they they approach the character very differently and it's good that they didn't try to get actors who really looked a ton like brian wilson uh or looked a lot like one another and in that sense it's a lot like uh the the Bob Dylan um, I'm not there right movie not a few years ago uh, where they just kind of let people let people go and you go with it and and so I felt it was really successful I really liked it uh, nine out of ten oh wow yeah it's everything I've seen for it I looks amazing it's it's been on my list of things to see so um, that's definitely a recommendation I will take to heart and hopefully be able to see shortly. Yeah, if, if you don't get to see it in theaters, it's in a very limited release. Definitely make sure you check this out when it ends up on video. I probably won't stick around in theaters very long because I think it's got limited appeal. But if it's playing at a local independent cinema, uh, for instance, uh, it's playing at the Broadway in Salt Lake, go check that out. Um, here in Austin, they've got it at a couple of the Alamo Draft Houses and at the AMC Barton Creek 14. Uh, but that's it. So... 
Uh, if you're lucky enough to have it playing near you and you love Brian Wilson, go check it out. Otherwise, make sure you check it out when it comes around on video. Awesome. Well, again, overall, a ton of good movies this week. I think we can pretty much say that they, you know, the one stinker with Entourage, uh, everything else was pretty, <laughs> was uh, was worth seeing. Um, and, of course, everything's clean and horror from Jurassic World, which we, um, we will be seeing this week and talking about. So hopefully that will be as good as it looks. To, I mean, it looks amazing. The trailers have me excited. So hopefully that will... That will live up to his promise. So, uh, Before we go, though, we did want to talk about some recommendations. Um, and what I mentioned earlier is that it is Pride Month. Uh, so the one, the one movie I, I really, really liked that I saw a couple years ago uh, was called The Weekend. Um, there's a couple – it's in obviously a couple movies named Weekend. But it was uh, back from 2011. It was written and directed by Andrew Hay or Hay. I'm not sure. Uh, if you're familiar with HBO, he had a series on there uh, for uh, – two seasons called looking that some people like, I didn't like it too much. Uh, I, I tried to get into a couple episodes. It kind of just felt like queers folk for hipsters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't, it definitely wasn't my thing, but this movie is fantastic because, you know, so it's, it almost was like LGP, LGBT cinema had grown up. Uh, so much I've seen in the past is just, it's, it's kind of pandering. Not that there's anything wrong with camp or that kind of stuff, but, uh, I don't know how you feel, but like with LDS movies for a while there, like you had like the Singles Ward and you had the World Teacher or whatever it was, and every single one was like, well, if we say this is LDS and throw it out there, they'll buy it because there's, there's nothing there, and that's kind of how LGBT cinema had been for a while, where there were some cool little indie hits, but most of it was, you know, Tu Wong Fu, which again, fun movie, but it's it's not, you know to make a difference or change cinema, but Weekend definitely does. Uh, it, without going too much into the plot, basically, it's about uh, two guys who meet up, um, have a one-night stand, and hang out for the weekend. Uh, two British guys, uh, one played by Tom Cullen, the other Chris New. Two actors you probably have no idea who they are. Pretty much the only thing they've ever done uh, was this movie at that point in time. But what's really cool, it's a very, very honest story. I mean, there's not always this... You know, huge, there's not a huge happy ending. You know, basically, both people kind of go about their lives at the end of it. But it just shows how one decision or one person you bump into can make that big of a difference in your life and set you on a new course. So it's highly recommended. Uh, not only is it it is out on DVD and Blu-ray, it's the only movie I know of that, uh, for its initial release, got a Criterion. A Criterion saw it and said, hey, we're taking this, we're running with it. Uh, fantastic movie. It is rated R, obviously, for the subject matter uh, language that doesn't really bother British people, but might bother some people here. But if you want a fantastic movie that uh, makes you think and you're not afraid of two dudes kissing, then uh, Weekend's going to be the one to go see. And it's, I, it was on Netflix. It might still be there, uh, but it's been kind of making the rounds. That's great. I'll have, to, I'll have to check that out. I was racking my brain about what I wanted to recommend here, and... You know, the the easy answer is something like The Birdcage, which is a classic. Oh, um, yeah, you, can't, you can't go wrong with that. Madonna. Yeah. Madonna. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but I'm like, nah, you know, I think that's a little a little bit too on the nose. Um, but, you know, yeah, if you've never seen The Birdcage, check that out. Or go check out some John Waters movies. But uh, what really uh, stuck out in my mind was a documentary that I saw uh, two years ago at South by Southwest. 
that also played at Sundance um, uh, called The Case Against State. Yes. And this is the true story, a documentary of the legal case brought by plaintiffs in California against Proposition 8 that led to it being overturned in the Supreme Court. And what was so amazing to me about this film was the the real beauty of these personal stories of uh, these two gay couples who are very, very different and have very different backstories and how the case affects them as they're going through. Um, me, I'm also a huge political and history junkie. And I kind of came of age, as it were, politically in the year 2000 with the Florida recount and uh, that huge mess. Yeah, so the two lawyers on the opposing side, on the Gore side, you had David Boys, and on the Bush side, uh, you had Ted Olson. And um, Ted Olson, lifelong Republican, very conservative, but he makes a very strong case in this film, uh, a conservative defense of why the state should allow for marriage equality. Mm -hmm. And why there should not be discrimination. And it's it's great to see Boys and Olsen working together. And really, it's more Olsen leading this charge, uh, which is really great to see. And so you really catch on to this. Um, and for me, it was a a story of how I really need to like uh, put down the partisan gloves and like be okay and allow uh, people to change and people to, to be on my side, even if we're not on the same side on every issue. So I'm sure if you put me and Ted Olson in a room, we wouldn't agree on almost anything else, but marriage equality, we can definitely uh, go forward on. Uh, and there was a lot of hate against um, the human rights campaign and them giving money to uh, to Olson and his legal defense, and they go into that. Uh, I just thought this was incredibly interesting, and for them to catch uh, from the very beginning of the case to the very end of what happened at the Supreme Court was absolutely huge. And uh, we're going to have another major decision sometime in the next several months, again, on marriage equality uh, from the Supreme Court. Um, so this is a good primer to look back on some of the legal history and also just a great story. It's rare that a documentary is able to catch a story that is better than fiction. But in this case, I, I think they really did it. Yeah, I, I love documentaries. I'm a huge fan. I, I try to catch as many as I can when I go to Sundance. And what I loved about Case Against Eight was that they Documentaries can very oftentimes have an agenda and can be pushing a bias. And they they really tried to be as honest as possible and just let the story be told. And you don't see that very often. So it was really refreshing to have just, hey, this is what happened. There's you know, interviews with the lawyers, with the clients, with everyone else, uh, and just had this amazing story. Uh, unlike, I don't know if you've ever seen um, Eight, The Mormon Proposition. Oh, yeah. See, that one, it's... 
that one I, I don't like because it comes across as propaganda. There was an obvious agenda there. They were trying to make the people who were against marriage equality or people who voted for Prop 8 look like bad people. And like you said, just because we may disagree with someone doesn't immediately make them a bad person. Uh, just because you have you know, different religious beliefs or even whatever, uh, it doesn't mean you're a horrible person. So definitely go check out uh, Case Against 8. Uh, it's a fantastic documentary. And I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up because that's that's one of my favorites. I actually probably go rewatch tonight so yeah it's it's on hbo right now so if you have access to hbo go uh you can watch that uh they pick that up so go check that out and i think that's the only place where you can get it right now um so borrow a friend's hbo go password like i do from adam (laughs) actually no the the president of hbo said that's fine i i do believe it's out on blu-ray and dvd um I'm not 100 yeah. percent sure, but I, I know it's it's been out for a while. The really cool thing about HBO is they pretty much go to Sundance every year and they just buy all the documentaries. So if anything was out at Sundance, uh, like we have Going Clear, the Scientology documentary, uh, they'll they'll be available on HBO. So if you love your documentaries, pick up HBO or HBO Now, um, and you definitely have a lot to watch. So. And and while you're on there, if you want to uh, check out um, Angels in America or uh, Oh, what was the one last year with with Ruffalo and oh, Normal Heart? Normal Heart. Oh, yeah, just there's so much on there. You can have a there's there's a ton to watch on HBO with. Yeah, if, with if just you Angels in America, it's it's a six hour miniseries based on uh, two plays, and it's it's absolutely fantastic. If you want to see Meryl Streep acting her ass off, uh, one of her roles includes an old Jewish rabbi, a male Jewish rabbi. I uh, it's it's fantastic. It's one of the best things you'll ever see. And even though it was written back in the early '90s, and the document and the miniseries was from the early 2000s, uh, it held up well. It's not dated. I mean, obviously, the story takes place in 1980s New York, where AIDS is kind of running rampant. But the story and the themes and the characters still resonate just as well today uh, as they did from 30 years ago. Oh, uh, and the and the story of Roy Cohn and dealing with AIDS and. Pacino in that man, just every single person in that it just did amazingly, and it'll remind you why Al Pacino used to be such a great actor. He he still can be. I there was a movie I saw earlier this year where he did a he did a great job, Danny Collins. Um, but yes, um, Pacino often forgets how to act, or uses his paycheck. So yes. <laughs> Uh, all right, well, that's going to wrap it up for our this week's edition of the Board as Hell podcast. Uh, be sure to come back in a couple of days because we will both have seen Jurassic World and we'll be weighing in possibly with a few guests uh, guests on here who want to talk about Jurassic World as well. So, um, yes. all right. tripping, but it's all right. Homie scored a key. Gonna fly, punk ass fly. I recall the time they found those fossilized mosquitoes, and before long they were cloning DNA. Chased by some irate 
velociraptors. Well, believe me, this has been one lousy day. Jurassic Park is frightening in the dark. All the dinosaurs are running wild. Someone shut the fence off in the rain. I admit it's kinda eerie, but this proves my chaos theory, and I don't think I'll be coming back again. Oh no! I cannot approve of this attraction, 'cause getting disemboweled always makes me kinda mad. Tyrannosaurus ate our lawyer. Well, I suppose that proves they're really not all bad. Jurassic Park is frightening in the dark. All the dinosaurs are running wild. Someone let T Rex out of his pen. I'm. Sure don't act like Barney, and they think that I'm their dinner, not their friend. Oh no! <laughs> okay, so we should come up with some sort of sign-off or something. Um. We'll, we'll we'll have something for next things. I can't think of anything. My my mind's completely blank on that. Okay, kids, here's your clever sign-off. <laughs> Don't we'll see you next week. Tell your lady, I want to green light her chest with and bang stuff. Ew! Oh, I'm passing for straight. I'm passing for straight. I'm passing for straight. Of course you are. You've always been able to pass for straight, Titus. The only person you needed to audition for was yourself. You mean there is no entourage to audition? 
Panthers don't watch Rush too. Oh, thank God. <laughs>